Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. We are. Continue that sentence before I hit record. Before you hit record? Yes. Have you not hit record? I did now. Oh, okay. So like before we were recording, I said, what we're going to talk about today, I think is important for you and I to talk about, but I think it's important to talk about publicly and openly because uh, the group that you and I belong to, which is adult men, don't talk deeply about things very often, Um, especially things that could be emotional. Um, We tend to just be like, you okay? And then what do you say to that? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, cool. And then we checked on each other and we're fine. And that's like as deep as the conversations usually get, right? Oftentimes. About something, yeah, about something that we know is significant, right? Um, We'll talk about nonsense. At length. Endlessly. At length. Yeah, like, at length. Endlessly we'll talk about nonsense. But podcasts about that. We'll podcast about nonsense. Anyone who's listened to us knows we will podcast about nonsense and we'll go and go and go on it. But even Scott and I, have a tendency to check in, make sure we're doing okay, we confirm we're doing okay, and then we move on to talk about nonsense. Important nonsense sometimes. Important nonsense, but we do that. And there may be something missing from that. Um, As a society, as people, as friends, as those sorts of things. So to give some context, we we spoke with Zach Lavoie last week, and he was talking about the importance of um, close friends, uh, especially what's been important for him is close male friends, which I agree. Um, you know, as somebody who's kind of always wanted uh, an actual brother. Um, I guess not always, but like, especially when I was a kid, but like close male friends have always been important to me, but it's always been very difficult for me, uh, kind of with how my personality is to make, develop and keep male friendships long term. And the one sentiment Seth and I kind of shared at the end of last week after we were done recording and after Zach uh, said good evening is um, that we wish that we were closer to one another because the friendship that we do have is stifled by distance, which kind of sucks. But um, but because of this podcast, I think our friendship is what it is because of the podcast. Um. But at the end of last week, after we were done as well, you said that, um, and this is all kind of leading up here, that um, you wanted to talk about something. I did. I had something that I didn't want to drop prior to the podcast. Um, But uh, So we record on Mondays, and the Thursday um, before we uh, interviewed Zach Lavoie, um, I got a phone call from my brother uh, because my father had passed away. And it was one of those things where if I get a phone call from a certain area code, nobody's calling me to chat. 
like <laughs> it's always because and, and i'll get into this because there's some sort of drama associated with my family so i area code came up phone number wasn't my phone i was like prank call prank call um because i was picking up my i was waiting to pick up my son from school and it came up again and i was like prank call prank call not answering this don't want to talk about anything and then I got a text from my brother that said, dude, call me. I was like, oh, fine. And he said, Were you dad died. S- still in line at this point? Um, actually, right now, I, I, I got I to gotta work around for school. Okay. So because uh, my youngest son is in high school now, they just let them walk off campus. They're like, whatever, we've taken care of you for the day. Bye. <laughs> and like three-eighths of a mile from his high school is a Home Depot with a big, huge parking lot. And um, people don't line up in 100-car lines to pick up their children in Home Depot parking lots. So you can just park there and wait and listen to podcasts. And then when your kid shows up, they hop in the car and you drive away. Ta-da! It's amazing. So <laughs> that's the way I, I get around the car rider line, and it's made my life so much better. Um, and so, yeah, my dad died. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing where normally, like all of my other friends, and I like like my very good friends are like, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And they're like, okay, cool. If you're not, let me know. I was like, all right. And then we go ride motorbikes. Um, well, and, and if we're being honest too, even if you were to say, no, I'm not good. <laughs> not many friends of mine anyway. And good people, dear people and friends of other friends that I've also heard, you present somebody with a, no, I'm not good, or this happened. They're like, man, that sucks. Well, let me know if I can do anything. And like that's like the end of the right. conversation, right? The implication is like, cool, you should go talk to your wife. Seriously. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and and uh, like my wife said, dude, by the time you get done with a, a one-hour podcast with Scott, you will have talked to him more about this than me. And I said, yeah, that's because you've lived through the entirety of my adult relationship with my father. Because I met my wife when I was 23 years old. Um, and so when things were, were pretty normal between he and I, and so she knows everything. So like the stories don't need to be told. Like sure. everything is 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 known and implied. So for some context, um, and this is something I, I'll say to you, like I don't see the passing of my father as anything tragic. And I don't want to downplay that, but he was in his mid-70s. Um, he had raised five children. Uh, owned a business, um, employed dozens of people over the time he, you know, owned his own business. He was a veterinarian. Um, he was in a caregiving profession in which he cared not only for the animals, but he really cared for the people who owned the animals that came in. And as a veterinarian, he was he was a spectacular person. I had I saw clients of his truly love him for who he was as a caregiver um and so he lived this full caring life where he gave great important things to the world and raised his kids and then he was an old man in ill health and 
I think when you look at at a life that's that long, you don't go, oh no, there's a there was a tragic death. You just are like, well, that the the life ran its course. Um, and that was the end of it. And and part of the reason I say it ran its course is because my dad also had a recurring problem with uh, a very linked problem with alcoholism and uh, mental illness, depression, um, and that sort of thing. And those two, those two were. I would say flip side of the same coin. Those two are really the same side of the coin. The other side of the coin was was my healthy dad, and that side of the coin was the alcoholic, depressed dad, um, where he used he used some fun medication too, um, but but alcohol um, was his drug of choice. Um, interestingly, before I knew him, I want to say before I was born, but before I was old enough to really know him. Um, he was an alcoholic and he became an alcoholic again after I was an adult. And, and there was a period of time there for 15 years where he did something really, really hard and he kept his shit together to raise a family. And and I'm not sure I ever totally told him how much credit I gave him for that. Um, but but I never I never lived with my dad as an alcoholic. So there there are people who I'm sure are listening to this show who grew up with an alcoholic parent and have have the stories and the trauma of growing up with that. And I do not. Um, that wasn't who my dad was when I lived with him. Um, he was that person prior to me knowing that, and and then I knew him as an alcoholic adult, which was carries its own carries its own weight, right? Because you you really you you have an image of your parents, like, and yeah. and this is going to be this is I want to say this is going to be straight. How old were you when your dad passed away, Scott? would have been 31 okay and so like there's a whole adult relationship that that isn't there yeah i would i would say that Um, and i don't want to put words into your mouth but no but, but no, I mean it's it's interesting that you know you're talking about the your alcoholic father and alcoholics are always alcoholics whether they're practicing or not so to speak. Right. Um but similar to you um alcoholism is a thing in my dad's family. Uh a thing I'm grateful uh that didn't was not passed to me. Um, even though I tried at different parts of my life, you know, definitely in college, I, I tried to adopt that, but just never really right out that lifestyle a little bit. Stuck, yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was growing up, like my my parents would certainly have some wine here and there, but um, certainly not uh, drinking heavily or even often. 
And it wasn't until after my parents got divorced uh, when I was in undergrad. And then once my dad got uh, remarried, he uh, definitely jumped back on that bandwagon. And, um, yeah, um, there was a point, certainly, and I think time-wise, like age-wise, it probably happened right around the 2023 range where you're really kind of, you, you might still be in college, but like you're out doing your own thing and then you kind of meet your parents again yeah, for the first time. Um, and mine kind of happened at the same time as uh, my parents' divorce. And I love my dad. Um, he gave me a lot. It certainly inspired me a lot. I mean, we raise money for, for him in his right. name anyway, every year. Um, but I can't say I was ever really as close to my dad in my adult life as I had hoped, um, because he was shit at communicating. <laughs> um, kind of like we started the show with, um, his generation, especially, um, just didn't really talk about your feelings. Um, your role in the family was to provide and to take care of them. Um, have a job that earns you a living that affords you the ability to put a roof over their heads, feed them, take them to go do nice stuff. And that was about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, when my dad died, um, right before my kid was born and he's, uh, just over nine years old now. So yeah, I definitely would have been 31. Um, I, I actually wasn't, he, he had been sick for like a year and a half with, um, the stage four glioblastoma and the mortality rate after one year is 20%. Um, I mean, it's, it's aggressive and it's right. not if it's when and how many months usually. Okay. And so, you know, we're getting through July and then August and he's got MRSA, uh, which is a really nasty infection. Um, typically gotten while in hospitals uh, yeah, and uh, just wasn't going great. But like my son's mom was pregnant and I had this kind of high stress uh, pasture job at the time, you know, where everything, everybody wants you to do something. And so I was going to wait until after Willem was born to go visit him because I wanted to be sure that his mom and he were doing all right. You know, I, I didn't want to travel from Michigan to Arizona for a few days, you know, in the, like in the last couple of weeks. Um, my head pastor at the time basically told me like he was halfway kicking me out and he's like, you, you have to go like you have to go. I'm not really giving you a choice. Buy a plane ticket and go visit your dad. I'm very glad I did. Um, you know, so I got to see him before he died. 
And I remember like, oh shit, okay. Um, my sister and I visited him at the same time for a couple days and he was in the hospital and, you know, always had a computer in his lap or working on a computer or something. That's just kind of who he was as a human being. Um, I remember after this, it was like the last, the last real day, like my sister and I were going to be there and she had gone out to get some food or something and impending birth to a son sitting there with my dying father. And I asked him like, what would you say dad to somebody who's about to have a son? Any advice? And, uh, God damn it. All right. Um, he said, just know that they're always watching you. Yeah. And, um, that was really about it. And the truth of that is they don't, we think of that statement. I've, I've heard a similar statement to that before. And my context for that was always the young children that I had. And it's it's not, it's now with the passing of my father that I realize that that doesn't stop. Um, your sons, your children are going to watch you far past the day that they live with you. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's absolutely true. And that's, that's a, uh, and that's a heavy weight. Like, <laughs> yeah. And for me, it, it goes, I mean, there's, there's the old trope that, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Right. Um, it doesn't matter what you say, what you say matters right now. Right. It, does not matter long term. Right. Um it's what you do. My dad was a smoker. Always told me not to smoke. Now fortunately, yep. fortunately I didn't. Um but it's your actions, the the character of who you are and the choices that you make and do, those are the things that really um stick with somebody. Yeah, my my dad was a smoker, and I did smoke starting in college. And when my wife and I decided to have a baby, I smoked my last cigarette, and we were done. And I was done. Yeah. Um. And not that that quitting was easy or permanent in that moment, but that I knew, like, you, someone was watching me, and I didn't want to be that person. Um. Just like that one thing, not that smoking makes you morally not good or something, but I wanted to be a dad that didn't smoke because my dad was a dad that did smoke. Yep. Um, and so, so I did not go see my dad. My dad's death was sudden. Um, it was, um, from what I know, it was pneumonia, which is brought on by <laughs> being someone in your mid seventies who's kind of on a three-day bender and is not taking care of yourself and um when what for whatever reason you end up unconscious on the floor whether that was related to the alcohol or the pneumonia 
um, you just don't get to back up. Your body just goes, all right, then, and shuts itself down and you pass away. And because nobody wants to be around a grumpy old drunk man, uh, my parents have two houses, <laughs> which um, so when when my dad needed to be this version of himself, uh, he separated himself. Um, and so he was alone. Um, but I think that was kind of an inevitability for the, for the lifestyle that he lived, um, where he was. But so I did not, I didn't go see my dad. Um, I think, and I know this for a fact, um, I hadn't really spoken to my dad in the last probably four years. Um, because there wasn't, there wasn't much of a time when I was around my dad that I wasn't around my kids. And my dad always wanted to turn things into a weird, dramatic something. He couldn't have a normal conversation. He was so wrapped up in whoever he was at the moment that it was hard to have a normal conversation with him. And so after 10 minutes, he would loop it around to something and he'd want to get into things associated with my sister dying or his relationship with my mom or whatever. And I was like, dude, I got kid. I have little kids around. This is not appropriate conversation. We're not going to have this talk. And so after a couple of years of that, we just didn't talk anymore. Like I didn't talk to him. He wanted to use you as therapy almost. Almost like, well, he wanted. Or he probably, just wanted to focus I, on I, his own hurts and pains my perception at the time was he wanted to be right and I wouldn't let him be right. Um, and so when we talked, it always looped around to something that he thought he was right about and I wasn't. And he wanted to turn or and that started to turn into an argument until I cut him off and tell him I, we weren't going to do that. And so I felt like we were unable to have a conversation. So we just didn't have conversations anymore. Ta-da, we fixed it. And I never intended to never talk to my dad again. Um, my dad was not close to his dad, um, and that's a whole nother show. Um, but my wife um, was fairly close to both of her grandpas. And so, which is a, which is a generation back which is that generation. So I really never, I never saw my dad interact with his father very much. Like we did family gatherings and stuff, but they never had like friendly conversations. That's not who they were. Um, and that was a generational thing too. Like you weren't really friends with your adult sons in that era. Um, at least very few that I saw. Um, but I had two other people from that generation that had been one of my wife's grandfathers had been like the gruff provider right like he was went to work he made money he was not really a friendly guy he was just he was harsh her other grandfather had been an alcoholic um long before she knew him and wasn't certainly during that period wasn't a very good husband wasn't a very good father um and then got sober later on, long before my, my wife knew him. But the thing that those two men shared in common is in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they mellowed out. And both of them became 
these wonderful old men who doted on their their grandchildren, but especially their great-grandchildren. And like they were these, as much as they could be these wonderful, happy old men. And I had great conversations with both of them. And I really enjoyed my time around them, knowing full well that those weren't the same versions that their children had grown up with. Um, and I felt there, there was part of me who always went at some point, my dad is going to turn into that little old man. And even if I can't have those conversations with him, my children or their children will, because he'll be in his, his mid or late eighties and he'll just be that, that kind old man who dotes on his grandchildren and great grandchildren and tells them stories and does all of that. And, and whatever he has in him right now that makes him a difficult person to be around will mellow and go away. And, you and hope, I took for granted, I believed it, right? Like sure. that's what I thought would happen. And so I never felt like, like after somebody passes away there there's a tendency to be like oh i should have done something right at, at least to some extent yeah. um, i mean you you were working on like a 10 20 year timeline yeah um and maybe because i thought i had to because who he was right now was not somebody i could deal with um certainly with the life i'm living trying to to raise my own children, raise high schoolers, get kids off to college, you know, do all of those other, all of those other things. I, I could not layer my dad on top of that. Um, emotionally couldn't do it. And so there was a, there was always the thought that in the future, when he calms the hell down, maybe stops drinking, that would be great. Um, you know, we'll have a chance to do this normally, Right at least have a chance to do it without my kids around. But I, I was hoping there would be a calming influence with age. And there's, I have rose colored glasses with that. I know not all old men turn into those really nice, kind old grandpas, right? No. Um, but I saw two that did. And, and I was optimistic for that. And he didn't live long enough for that to happen. Maybe it never would have happened. Um, but if there's something I'm sad for, it's that I that it didn't happen while he was alive and he didn't stay alive long enough for it to happen. And what I have found, I was a pastor long enough to have been around a good many deaths in the family, all, all, all types. Right. And one of the similar experiences that's the hardest is almost less of the loss of the person but it's a loss of the possibilities in the future that all those things that we had hoped for for them or that we had hoped that our relationship would have or that someday we could those oftentimes are the hardest things to deal with 
is the loss of possibilities. Yeah. Which is why when somebody dies younger, um, you know, my sister died when she was 21. Yeah. Um, certainly you, you, I, I mourned that way more heavily. Now there's a different time in my life and, sure. and all of that stuff. But, um, and that's why I say when my dad, my dad's death isn't a great tragedy. He lived a full life, you know, aside from those, those last I'll always feel like he missed those last moments because I do, I want to hold the possibility that those last moments would have been like I believe. Um, even though he, as an adult over the last 25 years, was not who I thought he would be. Um, I don't know if I'm being an optimist. Maybe I'm always an optimist. You are, and I, I don't want to say I'm surprised, but I think... It kind of goes back to, I guess, my own experience. It's it's your dad. You, yeah. You you want good things for your dad. Yeah. You want good things for your relationship with your dad. Yeah. So one of the things that brings, um, one of the things I thought talking about this on the show was appropriate, um, not just because hearing two grown men talk about hard things is important um was because a big part of why i do what i do with cars is because of my dad and my dad was not a car guy um he liked cars like everybody who grew up you know he graduated high school in 1969 grew up like in the muscle car era so 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 many people in that era had you know, liked cars, right? Yeah, yeah the, the casual, the casual liver of a life in that era was way more into cars than the than the average person today. Yeah, yeah. There's just they were there, right? They were big, fire breathing, noxious fume swilling cars, and cars were super important in in the days before cell phones, and you know, cars were a huge freedom. Like cars were freedom. Yes. And so he wasn't he wasn't a car guy any more than a, a normal casual person would have been a car guy. Um, um like I said before, we we hunted. He and I hunted together. That was his passion through his whole life was hunting. Um, although some people thought the the dichotomy be, between somebody whose profession um and passion is is saving animals and putting them back together and then simultaneously going out and hunting them and killing them and cutting them up and eating there there were definitely people who thought that was a, a strange dichotomy but um i, yeah, I do th- I don't think, think so no i i think he really he enjoyed and respected life the life of all animals and and you know saving animals was the same as is the wasn't the same as but but like the respect he had a huge respect for the animals he hunted um, and he taught that to me. But the big thing he taught me um, through hunting was that if you have, I think I've said this on the show before, but if you have something that is that is you're truly passionate about and really makes your life better, you have an obligation to share it with people. Say that if, again. If, 
Could if you, say if that you have if you have a passion for something in your life, something that truly makes your life better, you have an obligation to share it with people. Um, and when I, for the, you know, six or eight years between when I could legally hunt and, and when I still lived at home or even before that, you know, I was his buddy. He took me everywhere. We went hunting. Like I was his buddy during hunting season. I'll say that. So we hung out during hunting season. He taught me everything he knew and he introduced me to friends of his that had done that. And prior to me being old enough to hunt, he taught the son of a good friend of ours to hunt. His dad didn't hunt. And so my dad semi adopted him as a hunting buddy. And he was his hunting buddy for three or four or five years before I could hunt. And I know of at least four or five other young men that, that he taught to love the outdoors and love hunting um, after I left home. And actually, one of the things my mom told me last week is probably the person in the world who is having the hardest time with my dad's death um, was uh, a 14-year-old boy that my dad had been taking deer hunting over the last two years um, and was super excited about deer season this year. And... Um, this man that he only knows as a really nice old man who happens to know everything about deer hunting passed away. And now his hunting buddy just like he was psyched to go deer hunting this year with him, right? Like set up deer blinds and do all this stuff. And then he died. And he like when you're 13, 14 years old, like how, that's hard to process. Um, and so, you know, the rest of us who knew a more three-dimensional version of my dad and had known him for a lot longer processes death differently than if you've just got kind of a buddy who's a good guy and then he just all of a sudden dies. And the suddenness is a yeah. particular death as well. Right. Right. Because the rest of us, you know, the the... A lot of the rest of the people, at least the people I know in my dad's life, you know, knew him for who he's been the last 20 years and his health problems and and all of those things. So to say that my dad um, died died suddenly from pneumonia, we all kind of went, eh, sounds about right. <laughs> you know, he was didn't take care of himself and, and drink too much when he drank. And, you know, these things happen. Um, but if you just knew him as your veterinarian or as your hunting buddy, or something else it is very shocking and it is very sudden and and you don't see the whole the whole picture of someone but but my dad's like what he said about that um stuck with me like it stuck with me through everything that i've learned to do in my life and really been passionate about um when i learned to rock climb in college the transition from somebody who thought this is the coolest thing I've ever done to someone who was teaching it was, you know, six weeks. You know, as soon as I could teach it, I wanted to share it with people through teaching, um, teaching people to safely do it. Um, rock climbing inside and outside, dragging people to frozen waterfalls. Um and, and it was just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. Come do it with me. 
and and learn about it. And then when you learn about it, you can find somebody else to do it. And then everybody in the world will get a chance to do this thing. And um, when I moved to Houston, uh, I was a bit lost because there is a, I don't know, anybody who's been in Houston, uh, rocks and ice are not really a thing that happen here. <laughs> no. Not, and so, not unless they're made out of plywood and, and right and, and there wasn't much of that 25 years ago um and so when i found autocross when i had a friend of mine um that i sort of met through car stuff say you should come to an autocross and i went to my first autocross and i was like yes this is immediately a thing and I went from autocrossing to it probably took until my second year when I started informally teaching people. And by my third year, I was I was being pulled into cars to instruct people. And I never stopped instructing autocross until I really stopped doing autocross. And by the time I stopped instructing autocross, I was basically instructing motorcycle stuff. Um, and still, if I'm at the track and there's other people there, I'm watching what they're doing and being encouraging and helping people do little things and talking to people about motorcycles and tire pressures and on and on and on and and making sure that if you come to the track, you have the best day possible and you don't just ride motorcycles, you love motorcycles so that this sport can add as much to your life as it's added to my life because... And every time I do it, every time I'm instructing, I think about my dad. Like, I've never not thought about that when I've been instructing. Um, because it is, even when I don't like my dad very much, um, that was... Well, that's the three-dimensional aspect. Right. You don't, don't have to like who he was to be connected with them in that way. Right. Have I ever talked to you about ghosts? No, but I want to know. <laughs> Not like woo-woo ghosts. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I thought we were going to get into some like like uh, creepy ghost hunter stuff, but no. No. Oh, no, never seen, don't really particularly believe. Um but what I do believe is that whatever you believe about ghosts, that a ghost is the presence of an absence. Okay, you're gonna need to you need to yep. fill me in. So doesn't necessarily need to be a death. It could be a divorce, it could be moving away from a bunch of friends, it could be a temporary argument that separates you from uh, emotionally distances you from something else. But a ghost is a presence of an absence. It's something that isn't physically with you or in the same room or even near you, but you are carrying it around and it just, it's, it follows you. And yeah, I th I think it'd be pretty easy to to look at and make the jump that, like after my dad died. I mean, there there could be days 
several days in a row where I didn't like actively think of my dad being dead. But that idea that your kids never stop watching you, that I'm sure, like, (laughs) I remember when I graduated from undergrad and I called my dad and he answered the phone, hello, and I said, hello, and it sounded like a freaking echo, (laughs) you know, um, that there's always something that you carry around with you from the people who die around you, from the divorces that happen, um, from the breakups or arguments or moving or whatever it is. Like those, those things always stay with you to one degree or another. And so I guess my, my question, although you certainly answered it partially through your, uh, your instructing what you're passionate about is what do you think those things are going to be for you? Like what is going to, I don't want to say haunt you. That has such a negative connotation, but like what's, what's going to be present in the rooms you walk from, you walk through that are from your father. The, the easiest thing that I don't have to think too much about with that is um, all my kids are about to come home. I have three kids at college and they'll all be home within like the next four days. So they're converging on Texas. And it's interesting um, when Sonia did the show with us, the number of people who said, holy crap, does your kid talk like you? And I listen to Sonia tell stories and I hear my dad tell stories. And she's spent she has not spent much time around him. Um, Certainly not since she was little. Um, And so the echo of my dad came through me. But you only Um, realize that. I don't realize that until I listen to her tell stories and I hear my dad in her and realize that had to have come through me, not directly from him. Um, and so it's an, it is, it is an echo and it is bounced from him through me to her. Um, and I was, I was actually thinking about this the other day and I think I suspect that comes from his mom's side. Um, his parents were divorced when he was young and he and his, his younger sister lived with his grandma and grandpa for for two or three years before um, remarried. And that was his stepdad was the one I know as his grandpa. And um, so I didn't really know my great grandpa very well because he died when he was young, but I knew my grandma's brother, Uncle Bud. And Uncle Bud never stopped telling stories. Like you couldn't have a conversation with Bud that wasn't 45 minutes long. And... I was like, that has to, it had to have come through that 
side, that that experience he had living with those older men who told stories. And because when I think of the times I hung out with Uncle Bud when I was seven, eight, ten years old, that's really similar um, to that. And so you, you know, Uncle Bud and those sorts of things echoed through my dad, echoed through me, echoed to my daughter. And that's the easy one that that everybody on the show will listen to because they've all they if they've listened to the shows they've heard my daughter talk. Yeah, but if, if you of, haven't, go back and listen to the episode with Sonia. <laughs> but all of my children have things, and before my dad died, um, things would pop up that would annoy me. Um, my son uh, Emmett would he would <laughs> he would have behaviors that reminded me of my dad which also remind me of me um ways we deal with situations ways we deal with situations as adult men dealing with each other um and it's ways that my dad dealt with with his dad not terribly well and as an adult I didn't deal with my dad terribly well, and I watched my son do it right back to me. And I don't think that's a genetic thing. I think that's a lot of that is a learned personality thing. Like you say, your kids watch you, um, and they watch how you do things, and they give a little bit back to you that you give to them. And so if you pick something up somewhere and you hand it to them, they'll, they'll, they'll give it right back to you. And so I see parts of my relationship with my dad that my son couldn't really have watched because he wasn't around for them, but I have that similar relationship with him. And so I, I see those echoes that have come through me and they're there with all of my kids. Um, positives and negatives and and those ways that that um you know my daughter my oldest daughter can't get involved in anything without being the teacher and i'm sure that's why she went into to nursing um the 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 caring nursing part you know both my parents as as veterinarians as yeah, they're they're healthcare providers to to animals, but also the people, right? Like that's they they have this this never ending compassion thing that they did. That's just who they were as people. And my oldest daughter, to the degree that that I have that, like when we the the episode where I talk about <laughs> raising that bird, yep, that that bird that like I can't not take care of something that needs my help. Um, I don't have it in me to not do that. I have a goldfish in an aquarium downstairs that I swear to God is nine years old. And he's like a carp. Yeah. And and I can't I I mean, A, like flushing this fish would be like it would be an issue. He's a big boy. But I can't I can't off this fish, which is barely freaking sentient. Right. because I took on the responsibility to take care of it. And that's what I do. Yep. And that, you know, that was my entire life being raised by my parents, right? Like things that are there to be taken care of, you take care of them. 
And that especially came through my dad, which is why we raised raccoons and a crow and every friggin' kitten that was brought into the practice without a, a parent that came home that we bottle fed that, you know, on and on and on. That was my entire life growing up. And that's my, my oldest daughter. You know, she's just, things need to be taken care of. And she's finding a profession where like taking care of things is obvious, but she does that anyway, right? She sees in people in an organization that needs to be taken care of and she steps up and she takes care of things and she makes them better. And she's not, her style of leadership is taking care of the people in an organization. Mm. That's what she does. Yeah. Um, because people need, when, when you have an organization like, like grid life, you look at what Adam does. You could say Adam's the race director. Adam's really a dude who's, who's taking care of all of you guys while you go racing. Um, that's all he's doing. He he gathered a whole bunch of people around him that we could we could argue about how fragile you guys are and how much you guys need to be taken care of. But to play with your race cars and go race on track, you need somebody looking out for you who's going to watch for you and take care of you and make sure everything's good and make sure you're safe at the end of the day. And Adam does that for all of you. Um, I need to get you to read the uh, the sacred Enneagram book. So. We can talk about it because I think Adam just finally finished it. Oh, good. And uh, learned some stuff. So yeah, might be a might be a fun episode. And and your your son is young. You may not like. He probably doesn't feel young because whenever your kids are like really becoming people like really solidly becoming people. They don't feel as young anymore because they're not like toddlers, but the, the imprints and the echoes and, and all of those things that the parts of you that he's going to become, he's just experiencing now when he hangs out with you to a large extent. Um, not to not to put too much you know weight and importance on you know you guys hanging out all the time, but I think you know that anyway. But I, th- you, I don't think you see those things until after they've happened. Um, I never saw my daughter's ability to tell a story until after she had developed that ability, and so she had spent years and years and years listening to me. And and grabbing onto those little pieces and, you know, practicing in her way with her friends and in her world before I went, holy crap, she's telling stories just like I do. Um, and so by the time, by the time you realize you've done it, you've done it. And I think that's probably part of what your dad meant when he said they're 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 always watching. Maybe like if if you knew you were being a good influence or a bad influence at any moment, you would just tailor yourself to those moments, right? And you don't get to tailor you, tailor yourself to those moments. They're always watching. Yeah, and I think in my my dad did that perfectly and imperfectly 
in the fact that that he remained sober during that time that he was raising us, that we still lived at home, um, with the exception of the last two where he sort of fell apart. Um, but that carries over into adulthood. Um, your kids still watch you just because they don't live at home. And and I say this only as the son of a father. I don't say this as the father of, a, of children yet. Um, but as the son, um, they still watch you. And, and as much as your kids ever judge you, because that's probably not the right word, but but they're they're evaluating you. How's that? Yeah, the judgment probably comes later. Yeah, judgment probably comes later. Um, but um, I was talking to my sister, and and I said I don't I don't really feel sad because I have already felt sad because the person that my father was to me when I was growing up stopped being around a long time ago. Yep. And that made me sad. Um, and not being able to have that guy around for my children made me sad. Um, because by the time I had children and, and my children were, were really old enough to hang out with my dad, he wasn't the person that had raised me anymore. He had, he had, you know, he was drinking again, but he had made some other choices and and decided to, to not be that guy anymore. Um, and he didn't get, I, one regret I know he had is he never got to, to teach any of my kids to hunt because it was, having my dad go hang out with my kids for an extended period of time was not a good idea. Um, um, when he was that age, you know, when he was making the choices he was with that age. So it was something I was not willing to, to do. Um, so I was sort of protecting my kids from my dad at that point. Um, right or wrong. That's, that's what I was, that's what I was doing. Sure. And so I know he always felt bad. I think he always thought he would be able to do the same thing with my kids that he did with me. And he wasn't capable of being that person to my kids by the time my kids were old enough to, to learn from him. So, um, that was a bummer, but, but yeah, I had, I, I'd, I'd been sad. I had mourned. I'd gotten through that years ago. Um, because the person I missed was the guy who raised me. And so I've been thinking a lot about that um, because I am almost the same age that my dad was when he started drinking again. A little bit younger, but, but not much. I was, so we actually, I had my first child the same age he had, he had me, um, was 26. And um, my sister died when she was 21 and he had started drinking a little bit prior to that. So he was 
I'm 47 now. He was probably 49 when he started drinking again. So pretty close to the same age thing. Like his kids were grown. His kids were, for the for the most part, were starting to be off living on their own. And that's a pretty dramatic change in life for parents. Yep. And um, whatever it was that that held him together when he was raising us stopped. And he started drinking again and, and you know, a bunch of things fell apart. And so I think a lot about that as my kids are, you know, three of my four kids are off at college now. And um, I do think I've been a better version of me while raising kids um, from the obvious, like, like I wasn't going to smoke when having kids, right? Um, that's a better, I, I think of that as a better version of me, um, to like, I don't curse at home. That's the better version of me. Um, and, and like, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables because that's the better version of me on, on the whole, on the whole. Now, when you see me, that's the other, like when people see me, when I'm out at track events, they're like, Oh my God, you eat like this. I'm like, yeah, that's because I cook vegetables from scratch every damn night when I'm at home. This is treating yourself. This is treating myself. And so I think a lot about what what has been my motivation for making that better version of myself because my wife has been living with a conscious better version of myself for, you know, 22 years now. And I really don't want to let that go because that would be kind of a shitty thing. Um, Guess we'll not, not, that, not that I won't change as a person. Like, I, I think we all continue to change as a person and, you know, we, we do continue to change through our entire lives, right? And certainly the, the me that was raising toddlers is going to be different than empty nester me. Um, I think has to be a different person. Um, but I need to figure out how to continue to be a version of myself that my kids can still look at and have it be a positive when they look at what their dad is doing with his life as an empty nester. Um, how I continue to be in my marriage um, such that it's kind to my wife. And that my kids continue to see that as a relationship. Like, I, I dearly, truly love my wife, but I think people who dearly, truly love each other are shitty sometimes anyway. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, well, I, think it's, so been, I think it's going to be interesting, and I would hope you take the time to kind of let yourself do this now you said your kids are coming home and that you are at times able to experience your dad through how you influenced your kids as as they exhibit it so it's a really interesting flow chart there um but i I think I would hope that you you're able to just like 
not like investigate them, but just soak them up a little bit to, to see who they are as you've raised them, as you've been influenced by your dad. Yeah. And I I think think, I want, I think I want to do that over this next three weeks, almost a month that they're going to be home and everybody's going to be here. Um, Yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. I want that. Like, like I want that experience. If, if there is a morning time here and I don't really feel sad that my dad's passed away, I feel a void that he's gone, but not like, like I felt true grief before, right? When when people pass away, and I don't feel like that at all right now. Um, but I do feel like there's a like like a little bit of a void, and and it would be nice to see my dad in my children to sort of close that up a little bit. Um, hopefully. Well, other than the fact that you mentioned grid life, I'm not even going to apologize for not talking about cars this time. Um, We've been track walking, though, and (laughs) sometimes you don't talk about the the scenery or the apexes. Yeah. And please, anybody, like, on on track walking chats or whatever, um, reach out to me. Not if you want to just go like, hey, bro, how you doing? Cool. But like, if you want to talk. For realsies. Yeah. Um, maybe I have the emotional bandwidth right now. Maybe I don't. Um, but talking for real is important. And I hope we can do that more. Or at least share. Or at least share. I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We'll talk to you next week.